peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. It's Brooke. I am back. I'm the lead registered dietitian nutritionist here at Softlead HQ, basically the organizer of all things nutrition. And I am joined by a very, very special human being, my best friend from grad school, Nicole Haskins. Welcome. Hello. So happy to be here. For those of you who have a background in dietetics, Nicole and I did our internship together. If you don't, it's basically like the most brutal year of your life that you have to go through to earn all your hours of experience before you sit for your board exam to become a dietitian. And we had, we had some great times. You bond in trauma. You really do. Mm-hmm. We did some weird things. I was thinking about this the other night. We decorated for Christmas in like September one year yeah. because we thought it would be a mood booster, which really I think did, was it's great. Joy. It really did. So there was a lot of wine and pizza under Christmas lights Mm -hmm. during this dramatic time. This this will make us feel better. That's my (laughs) advice to all future uh, dietitians out there. Find your partner in crime. Yep. Decorate for Christmas (laughs) and fall. (laughs) And drink a lot of wine. Yes. Uh, That (laughs) didn't want to condone, but you know, hey, it's what we did. That's how we survived. We had a lot of a lot of good times. And so I'm really thankful that you made the trip up here to hang out and to join us for a podcast. You have a really cool job, also very non-traditional for registered dietitians. You work for a startup called Oh My Green. Mm -hmm. So cool. Can you explain what you guys do there? Yes. So we are a snack and wellness company. Um, we go into different office spaces and we'll take the traditional break room and we'll recreate it to be a happier, healthier environment for, um, the employees that work for the the clients that we have. And it's just a very interesting thing to get to do with, um, my credentials and also having the master's in health promotion really helped as well. And so I help manage all the accounts in Nashville and um, make sure that operations run smoothly. I know. I love your title. Happiness manager. <laughs> yes. Really, you're an operations <laughs> manager, but really the happiness manager title is my mm-hmm. favorite. And then you also started a side hustle with shout out to Rowboat, our other great <laughs> friends from grad school. So you take you all take clients and do mm-hmm. nutrition exercise on the side. I know mm-hmm. you're working with like some really interesting clients. Yeah. So um, we get to work with really awesome athletes as well as just people who are wanting to figure out what works best for them on their health journey. And um, we just kind of are always open to whoever comes knocking at our door. And um, it's been really cool to do that with him. And we also met at Mississippi State. So just seeing how all of us are kind of cultivating and growing in our careers and using our skills. I'm excited. I'm trying to get Ro to come on a podcast. He's doing his exercise science PhD. And I think he would have some really interesting things to talk about. So hopefully Ro, if you're listening, you need to get out here, come on, get out here and do it. So we're today, we're going to tackle a topic that I think is becoming more common. And the big thing is, surrounding kind of anti-diet culture Mm -hmm. rejecting this idea that a fad diet that's very restrictive is the answer yep 
And we're going to do that through your, you know, your area of expertise, which is a lot of intuitive eating and health at every size. And I'm really excited to take a deep dive. I have bought the intuitive eating book, but since that's not really what I do, mm-hmm. my, my specialty is like sport and human performance for the most part, a little bit of weight management, things like that. So I didn't, I haven't really had the time, mm-hmm. sadly, yeah. to, um, sad to admit that, to go dive into intuitive eating and, and this topic. So I'm really excited for you to share everything you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, like you said, it's just something that's been around for a while now, but, you know, it's recently come up more in the media and in conversation. And I mean, I will definitely be like one of the first people to admit that when I had heard about intuitive eating, I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. But like, I could never do that (laughs) because I always felt that I was the type of person that would have to restrict or count calories or um, just constantly be tracking what I'm putting into my body in order to get this unrealistic result with my body. And so diving into intuitive eating and like body acceptance is really just like opened my eyes and it's been cool to um, dive more into that specialty of nutrition and see what it's all about. Yeah, one of the biggest things that I think blows my mind is basically this idea of we have to stick to really rigid food rules. Mm -hmm. And we weren't born this way. Mm -hmm. We had instincts and we had, you know, we were listening to our body's hunger cues. And then along the way, I think a lot of it is marketing Now it's Mm -hmm. a lot of social media. You pick up these things and you have all these weird rules with food. And I like that intuitive eating is kind of trying to say those rules are bullshit. And maybe you just need to reestablish healthy eating patterns and and work on your relationship with food, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. And it's just like who's establishing these rules, you know, as we know, as dietitians, not most people do not come to the expert in the field to ask the questions or get the true information. And so all of these food rules and food talk that you're, you know, referencing is coming from people who also don't really know what they're talking about or don't have credentials or don't have that background. Someone sent me a Facebook ad and it was just a picture of this guy who's like, you know, an online coach or something. And he was like, guaranteed to be in ketosis in 15 minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa, he clearly didn't take OCHEM or BioCHEM. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't understand how any of this works. So you just have to be careful. There's so much misinformation out there that can really be dangerous and really end up harming your relationship with food, your metabolism and, mm-hmm. and everything else. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we're going to talk about is just how um, when you really think about it, how is the diet culture honoring you? How is it serving you? Is it really getting you to the place that you have in your mind of like, this is what I want my body to look like. This is what I want to feel like. When has it ever done that for you? And when you truly take a step back and realize like, oh, wow, yeah, I have been on X amount of diets or done X amount of things. And I never reached that weight that I thought I was going to or whatnot. And so you really kind of have to start to question it. One of the biggest mindset shifts is this idea of punishing your body through exercise and food restriction and instead be, you know, thinking, what does my body need? How should I fuel my body? How is it moving for me? And just kind of like totally shifting it, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, to be to being backwards instead of this negative 
but how can I honor my body and be thankful for all that it's allowing me to do? Mm-hmm. And so once you switch that and stop hyper-focusing on aesthetics, which is, I think is a really big thing and just start moving your body and eating a way that honors you, you're not going to have, have to be stressed with this idea of, do I look a certain way? What's my weight? I don't know why people get fixated on weight necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's just one health indicator. Mm-hmm. Just one. Mm-hmm. There is thousands of other things that can tell you about your health and what you're doing. And I think that's a big part of the health at every size idea is that you're just your body mass. That's not the only indicator of your health. So yeah. stop putting so much importance on it. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm done rambling. I'm j- I don't know what <laughs> rambles good. So why don't you? So tell me about kind of the diet culture stats. What does the industry look like, and why is intuitive eating, I guess, kind of coming and taking the stage? Yeah. So I think that diet culture is trying to offer all of these um, different ways to change the way you look and this is what's going to help you get healthy and this is this is going to be it this is going to be the diet that changes everything and like I said it just isn't proven to be true and so like I said intuitive eating isn't a new concept Um, the full program was actually introduced in 1995 by two registered dietitians um, Evelyn and Elise and so when this book was published it went into great detail about eating intuitively. Um, and when we talk about intuitive eating, you know, they kind of reference, like you said, you know, when you were an infant, when you were a toddler, did you think about food? Like, Did you think like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to eat next or can I eat this or can't I eat this? Like, No, you just kind of ran inside and we're like, oh, I'm hungry. It's time for lunch. <laughs> um, so it's just getting back to those roots of, your body's smart. It knows what you need. Um, and it's just honoring that and respecting what it's telling you. I think for some people, this can be really hard if you're someone who's been restricting food for a long time mm-hmm. to understand and almost relearn your hunger cues mm-hmm. and to be, oh, to yeah. be aware. So be patient with yourself. If, if you're someone who can relate to that, th- that it's going to take some time. Yeah. Be and kind to yourself. Um, one of my like very first clients with ROI, um, she didn't have those hunger cues anymore because she had restricted for so long. And um, as we introduced more food and she was very terrified of adding more calories or adding more carbs to her daily routine, as she did that, she was like, I'm starting to feel hungry again. I'm starting to like hear what my body's telling me. And so once you treat your body for a certain way for so long, you will lose that natural instinct of, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm full. Or just not being able to recognize it because you haven't trained yourself to, um, which we shouldn't have to train ourselves to. We should have just <laughs> listened to it in the first place. And when we talk about diet culture, we're talking about a lot of these quick fix fad diets. If it's promising you something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If you're restricting whole food groups or macronutrients to a very extreme level, I consider that a fad diet. And that's what we're talking to when we're talking about this diet culture. A lot of it is centered around fear. Mm. It's marketing and trying to make people feel insecure about themselves. A lot of it is based in fear. And I think that's why, like you mentioned, you know, working with this female and coming back, you have to kind of let go a lot of this fear. Mm -hmm. 
and and learn to to listen and trust your body. Mm-hmm. And her goal was obviously to lose more weight. She had already lost weight on her own. And she worked with me for almost six months and um, her body composi- composition did change a little, but like weight really didn't go down. But then I, we were also able to point out to her, but you've added X amount of calories every single day that you weren't used to eating. And like your body hasn't put on any weight. Like that has to tell you something mm-hmm. of like, oh, awesome. You're feeding me. Like, I'm cool. We'll stay here. Um, manipulating your intake solely based on I want to lose weight. It's just, it's not going to serve you in the way you think it's going to. And I think the biggest thing is when you pair this with physical activity, you'd be surprised. You'd really don't need that big of a calorie Mm -hmm. deficit. If weight loss is your goal and you're in a healthy place where you should be in a calorie deficit, then really only three to 400 calories a day. That's Mm -hmm. it. Because you want to make sure you're fueled and not super restricted. That way you can get through your activity. You're going to see those Mm -hmm. adaptions from training. And like you said with your client, the body composition change of gaining muscle and losing fat, your whole body's going to change. And maybe the scale isn't a great indicator, which is why I hate it. And I really recommend people do body composition testing. Mm -hmm. The scale's not really going to tell you that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be how you feel in your clothes. It's going to be body composition testing and and all that good stuff. Yeah. And I mean, when we talk about the diet industry, like we know that this is a $60 billion industry and it's insane to me because mainly, you know, your optimal health and wellness, um, as far as being achieved in the United States, like the majority of us haven't. And so if this is an industry that's making so much money a year and, promising us that it's going to give us the results, then why haven't we reached it? And, you know, that's in in this book, you know, one of the first like examples that they use is if like your car was broken and you took it to the mechanic to get it fixed and kept taking it over and over again, it never got fixed. Would you blame yourself? You're like, oh, this is all my fault that my car isn't working. No, like you would blame the mechanic, they're clearly not doing something correctly. So if, you know, you continue to go on diet after diet after diet and it doesn't work, we always blame ourselves. We, bl- I don't have enough control. I don't have enough discipline. I'm just always going to be like this because something I'm doing wrong. And yeah. you got to kind of like flip that script and be like, no, maybe it's the diet. But then I think if you put that kind of guilt and shame around yourself and food, it just is perpetuating mm-hmm. this negative cycle, yeah. fear, guilt, shame, not another diet. It, it's just, <laughs> it can be a lot. Yep. Um, so there's kind of like, there's 10 principles involved with intuitive eating. And, um, I really recommend getting the book and reading through all of them because it's super helpful if you really are just fed up and wanting to really figure out what works best for me. How can I listen to my body and respect it? Um, so kind of was just wanting to go through those 10 principles and kind of touch base and cover, you know, as much as possible, but there is a lot. So let's do it. Um, so principle number one would be to reject the diet mentality. Um, so the idea of not dieting can be scary to a lot of us because this is all we've known for so long of, I need to follow these rules. I need to have this structure or I'm never going to get to where I want to be. Um, I think the word diet has a really negative connotation, but if you mm -hmm. actually look up the 
dictionary version of diet. All it means is the habitual eating patterns you choose. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a dietitian, maybe I should be better about using the word diet. Mm-hmm. But that's what, when I say the word diet, that's what I mean. What is your choice of eating pattern that works for you? Yeah. So I think we've kind of like touched on this before of your body doesn't really understand when you're restricting, like why you're restricting. So when you begin to cut calories, cut macronutrients, your body just kind of goes into shock and is like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> are are we in starvation mode or um, are we experiencing a famine? You know, that's something yeah. we don't experience right now in this modern age but um your body is almost reacting yeah. as if it is a famine yeah. and it doesn't understand so that it's, it's 2019 like, um, we're not gonna do this so we're gonna go into like um protective mode and we're not gonna let this happen so i think like one big thing is you don't realize how smart your body is you don't realize that it's just it's trying to protect you from dying it's we're here like to eat we're sustaining our life and um yeah so what happens when someone is chronically dieting and chronically under eating i guess is what i mean by that um so when someone's chronically dieting um this causes your body to retain more fat when you start eating again So like I said, if you've restricted for so long, once you start to reintroduce food and calories or whatever you've cut out, your body is going to retain fat because it doesn't know if that's going to happen again. And so it's building up for the next time to protect you. And I think that's a big reason. I don't recommend someone stays in a calorie deficit for too long or that there's too Mm -hmm. big of a calorie deficit for someone who is trying to lose weight because that rebound isn't going to be easy Mm -hmm. and it should be gradual. Mm -hmm. So whether or not this is something you recognize as, Hey, I've been doing this and I shouldn't be, or this was something that you needed to do for you. You definitely want to slowly and gradually work up to an appropriate maintenance level and kind of figure out uh, from there what everything looks like and listen to your body's cues. Yeah. And there's been um, multiple like research studies done on how with each successive diet, you know, it's even harder to lose weight. So you've lost weight before, maybe you've gained a little back, maybe you've gained more, and then you go on another diet, your body isn't going to be as prone to lose weight as quickly as you did last time. And isn't there studies they've done where you gain, usually gain back what you lost plus some, Mm because all you're doing is then resuming, once you're done with this restrictive set of rules that you chose to follow, you go back to what you were doing before. So you gain it all back. And not only do you go back to what you were doing before, you almost go above that because you are so scared that you like you've restricted this for so long. So when you reintroduce it, you tend to eat more of it. It actually leads to more binging um, because you think you're going to do it again. You're like, all right, I'm done with this diet. I'm going to like loosen up a little bit. I'm going to eat the chocolate cake that I really want. I'm going to eat the pizza that I really want. And so you eat even more than what you think or what you would, you know, normally eat because you're like, I'm not going to have this again in like three weeks or whatever um, you've decided for your next diet to start. Uh, another thing that I think is interesting when you 
go to tell someone like for the soft wheat nutrition meal plan, it's very just a well-rounded fruits, vegetables, mm-hmm. whole grain, protein. There's pasta. It tastes really good. There's bacon mm-hmm. on it. Like there's <laughs> butter. And I think people are kind of shocked sometimes and they're like, wait, what? I'm like, no, this is like a healthy balance that's going to promote longevity Mm -hmm. and give you fuel. You're not restricting anything. It should taste good. Exactly. That's, that's what you also want to keep in mind is picking an eating pattern that's going to be sustainable for you for your life. It Mm -hmm. shouldn't be this short term diet. It should be something you enjoy and you're going to start to adapt these eating patterns that work for you that hopefully include some healthy foods that you tolerate and enjoy. Yeah. Everyone has been told for so long that if I'm on a diet, then it's not going to be good. Like I'm not going to enjoy what I'm eating. And so I think that's amazing that you're able to incorporate such, you know, unique and delicious recipes into these meal plans. Because like you said, it's just like opening up a whole nother world that people were never used to of like, oh, wow, these things are fueling me and sustaining me and I'm satisfied. Yeah, I guess I need to stop using the word diet. I'm going to have to think about an appropriate replacement. But pick pick an eating pattern mm-hmm. for your life. Yeah. Eating pattern for life, not a diet. Eating pattern for life. That's what I'm going to go with. So definitely like rejecting that um, diet mentality is going to be like the first thing that you do in this process. And then um, you get to move on to like the next principle, which would be to honor your hunger. Um, and this specifically means with adequate energy and carbohydrates, typically carbohydrates is one of the first things we cut. People love to restrict carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. They do. But, um, you know, with us having such a strong background and like you said, like going through all the science courses, um, in the book, um, both the registered dietitians talk about, um, neuropeptide Y, which is a chemical that's produced by by the brain and it triggers your drive to eat carbohydrates. So this is our primary preferred source of energy and the food deprivation and under eating drives that neuropeptide Y into action, which causes the body to seek more carbohydrates. So what you don't realize is like your goal is to restrict this, but your natural body's instinct is going to release this chemical and it's going to drive your body to even want more. So like we said earlier, you know, you come back from not eating it and you're eating even more and you're just like, why am I eating more? Like, I'm just like obsessed with carbohydrates. It's not really, you know, this is just your natural body's response. It's interesting. It's if you are trying to fight your body and what it naturally needs to do, it's going to fight back. Mm-hmm. That's what how I kind of like to think about this neuropeptide Y scenario. Yeah. So- and so, I mean, we all experience different hunger cues like you, we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, sometimes your stomach may start growling and you'll hear it or you'll get really distracted and just lightheaded or um, you just can't focus on like the job that's in front of you and you might be feeling faint. You might have a headache. And so really trying to like come more in tune with your body and you start realizing those things. Maybe it's just because you need to eat something. You shouldn't be hangry. Yeah. That should be on this list. <laughs> Seriously. Anger. New principle. It's real. <laughs> um, and so honoring your hunger, it leads us to making peace with food, which is the next principle. And this principle basically just focuses on giving yourself that unconditional permission to eat. Your body deserves to be fed. Like, you know, you have to respect that truth. 
I know um, some people are already probably like unconditional permission. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. And I think that's why, like, I mean, that was one of my biggest things in the beginning of like, why are so many dietitians jumping on board with this? Like if we're giving people unconditional permission to eat, isn't that just going to lead to being, you know, out of control, having poor food habits? Isn't that going to cause weight gain? But if you don't give yourself that permission to eat what it is that you want and that's going to satisfy you, then you're going to cause this fixation on that thing. And you're going to believe you're going to try to believe that you're never going to have that again. And so they kind of talk, they talk about in the book, a concept of like the last supper. And so say like, you're going to cut out pizza for ever. This sounds like a really sad life, (laughs) but continue. Um, uh, you're go- so then you're just like, all right, I'm cutting out pizza. So this is my last supper. I'm going to eat pizza. And then you go and you just like devour all the pizza because you're so scared. You're never going to have it again. And then what happens? Of course, eventually you reintroduce pizza. And so it's just this vicious cycle that if you had just allowed yourself to have the pizza when you wanted it and eaten the amount that led you to fullness and stopped when you were full, then like you're not going to experience those binges or you're not going to experience feeling out of control. So it's essentially what I'm hearing is it's allowing yourself. If you have a craving or something you enjoy to enjoy that and then just be mindful of when you're full and satisfied, Mm -hmm. that's enough. And and knowing not to, to overeat and make yourself miserable or, or, is that what I'm yeah, understanding? So, I mean, it, like, you know, being intuitive, just getting in touch with yourself. So when we talked about honoring your hunger, you know, some sometimes you have to relearn that. You have to relearn, like, how do I know I'm hungry? And then you also have to relearn, how do I know when I'm full? You know what's weird? When you were a kid, did your parents ever say, like, you have to finish what's on your plate? Mm-hmm. Or you have to finish this before dessert? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I still sometimes catch myself. I'm like, I'm not going to waste this Mm -hmm. food. Oh, yeah. And they talk about that, I think, in another one of the principles of, you know, we grew up hearing those things. And, you know, the words that were said to us at a younger age, like they still carry on into our adult life. And it, it has. It does affect us. I had someone ask me recently. They had meal prepped and and divided everything out. And they were like. Should I, if I'm not hungry, should I keep eating? And I was like, no, mm-hmm. it's okay if you deviate from the plan mm-hmm. and listen to your body's own cues. Yep. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Don't force anything. So one of um, Roe and I's athletes is trying to cut weight for an upcom- upcoming match. And, um, you know, her weight had kind of been at a standstill and didn't really know what was going on. And then Roe had reached out to me and he was like, yeah, she actually reached out and said um, that she's full and that, like, it's too much food on her plate, but she feels like she needs to eat it because that's what you told her to. And I'm like, oh, no, like, listen to your body. Um, so it's kind of interesting that that's how we are as a culture. So hopefully people can start to understand. It's really awesome to have a plan mm-hmm. and, and understand what you're going to do and but be adaptable and be able to listen to your mm-hmm. own body. So something that kind of like reminded me of making peace with food, I saw a post on Instagram um, this past week and it talked about how we think that like we'll just be addicted to whatever food that we've decided is bad, that is forbidden. 
And so that's why we try to cut it out. But like, if you think about it, say, I think she used like the example of eating donuts. If you really allow yourself to just like wake up in the morning and eat a donut and enjoy it and not feel guilty about it, maybe you eat two and then like a couple hours rolls around, you get hungry again and you eat another donut (laughs) and then lunch rolls around and you eat another donut. By the end of the day, you get home and like you realize like, "Mm, I'm done with donuts. Like I don't want any more right now. Like I've, I've had my fun with donuts and I mean, it's so true. It's just like eventually if you're allowing yourself to eat whatever it is that you've told yourself for so long, you can't eat, you will come to peace with it and then you'll move on. <laughs> like you'd be like, okay, this is can be this can be a part of my life. Obviously I'm not gonna eat it every single day all day long. Yeah. And that's the other thing is you'll get sick of it. Mm-hmm. If you're worried you're gonna lose control and then have five donuts every day for breakfast, I guarantee you you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you're not it's not gonna happen. No. So just learn to allow yourself to have those things and make peace with food and try to rethink some of these rules that you have in your head and why they're there. Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating to go back and think about the psychology of it. Yeah. When you were a kid, what was said to you? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, all these different things. And those rules lead us to the next principle, which is challenging the food place. And we know all about this. (laughs) Um, So it's just like this dives into like the food talk and the different voices around food. Like you said, just like, where did these come from? It's strange to me that so, well, so many of our celebrations or gatherings are centered around food. It's Mm -hmm. a cultural thing for for a lot of people, especially in the United States, if you think about holidays and birthdays and things like that. And then we have this weird, then emotion attached Mm -hmm. to think to food as well that I think creates issues that makes you need to rethink rethink things and how you talk to yourself and how you talk to others. Well, like when you're at those events, like how much do you hear people talking about food or talking about their body? Because I'm picking up on that so much more now. When you start to, that's so true. Yeah. Or people, my favorites, like people put something on their plate and like, I shouldn't eat this. Mm -hmm. It's like, why not? Or uh, another one that I'm trying to break is, the whole eat clean thing. Yeah. People are like, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. I should be eating clean. I'm like, pretty sure that's clean unless you just dropped it on the floor <laughs> and picked it up and ate it. Like, I think you're going to be okay. It's the same thing with trying to put, like, you're equating, like, food to some moral, like, it, it's good or bad. How? Like, how is a food bad? I mean, did it murder someone? Like, <laughs> did it, like, I mean, if you, it's just, it's so crazy to me that, how we have defined food and how it has changed and what we have made it into. A lot of it I think is generated by social media influencers and celebrities. You see some weird stuff. One of my favorite things to do is annihilate those on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) because I just think it's so ridiculous and they have millions of people following them and thinking these are the food rules I need to follow because this beautiful celebrity said so. It's like, no, you definitely want to rethink those things. You will find, so like a lot of people, like one big thing is like everyone should fear gluten. Gluten's bad or scary, so I just shouldn't have carbs or grains. No, that's not true. Some people absolutely shouldn't have it and they can't tolerate it and that's okay. But I don't think we should start demonizing food, whole food groups. You see that a lot with carbs, 
which anyone who listens to the podcast knows I have lots of issues with. Uh, what else do you see it with? What are some other examples? Food police. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, you just, you'll go to work and some, you'll be in the break room making some coffee and say you're using milk instead of almond milk. And they're like, oh, you shouldn't have dairy. I'm like, why? That's another good example. If you can tolerate dairy, mm-hmm. why not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, I think we've talked about this before, too, of just how like your mind and your gut and your body, like they all just work together. So if you've like just drilled this into your head and you've built so much anxiety and stress around it, then like you kind of got to figure out what's actually causing my body to feel this way. Is it the stress or is it the food? Ooh, hard pills to swallow brought to you by Coco. <laughs> That's a good one. I mean, yeah, it's just we are so concerned and wrapped up with I have to eat this way or I have to exercise this way to make my body look like this. But then we don't talk about stress and how chronic stress leads to way more health problems than the food you're putting in your mouth probably ever will. Yeah. Wow. That's really true. We have to think, uh, start thinking about the body as a whole, which I, I do believe you're seeing a lot more of. And that's something that's one of the reasons I work here. I'm really proud of how softly does that mm-hmm. and incorporates a lot of like mindset and breathing and down regulation. And I used to think all that stuff was really dumb. Like I'm not going to meditate. Why do I need to sit here and breathe deeply? <laughs> and now I understand yeah. the importance mm-hmm. at, that really it is this big picture and you feel so much better when you start to respect all areas of your body, mm-hmm. not just what's, what am I eating? What, what am I putting in my mouth? And then what am I going to go run to mm-hmm. torture myself or whatever that may be, but being mindful of your body as a complete. Yeah. And I mean, I would encourage anyone like, don't just take our word for it, you know, look it up and do the research and see how things like meditation are coming up and about and why it's working. What's the type of meditation you got certified in? Transmental trans. <laughs> I always get this word. It's TM. TM meditation. Yes. Okay. Um, I know I've heard of that. Trans something. I can't remember the name. Yeah. So um, the process was basically um, we had someone who was certified come in and train us all, and you go through um, this kind of like ritual, and they give you a mantra. And so you have your own mantra, and then you sit in stillness for 20 minutes twice a day. And you just repeat this mantra to yourself in, in your head. And it's just supposed to bring your body to a place of stillness. Transcendental, transcendental meditation. Yeah. It's a mouthful. It's a, it is. I'm like, I can't say this word. Yeah, but I that's really awesome. I have my education. And that's, um, didn't your comp, that's something your company really yeah, values. So and they did that for y'all. Our CEO, um, he just swears by it and he meditates a lot every single day way more than any of us um but he really contributes that to like his success and why he's able to run a business that's you know grown so quickly and um it really helps a lot when if you and like if you are in tune with your body and you realize like man i got eight nine hours of sleep last night but i'm still exhausted i'm still feeling this way why but then like you take that 20 minutes to sit still and kind of like get in touch with your breathing and your body and then the rest of your day you realize how much smoother it goes i love it that's awesome so feeling your fullness next principle 
Um, how do you feel like you feel your fullness, Brooke? I have a really bad habit of eating quickly. Yes. And a lot of the times that's because I like to run around like a chicken with my head cut off. I just like to be a busy person. It's part of my personality. So I try to help my body understand and recognize fullness by sitting down and enjoying a meal, eating at a regular pace (laughs) instead of inhaling and slowing down towards if I'm like, I think I might be getting full, I'll slow down and then Mm -hmm. I will physically feel that. But I used to eat so quickly so I could just run and do the next thing or I would be doing something else and multitasking while eating food. And I try to avoid that so I can just kind of listen to my body and take that time to fuel myself and be present. Yeah. I think that was one of the biggest things in the book that they talked about is like eating without distraction. And it got me thinking of how many times do I eat with distraction? Am I eating while I'm driving? Am I eating while I'm at my desk typing up an email? You know, just all these different things. And then am I eating while I'm watching TV? And I think that was a big thing that I was being not, I'm not going to say bad about, but it's something that I noticed is just like the end of the day, get home, I've done all the tasks I want to do, clean up, whatever, cook dinner. And then like, I'll go sit on the couch and like watch Netflix while I'm eating. And then it's not that that's bad, but you don't like, you're kind of taking the enjoyment out of your food experience. You're not really tasting the food as much as you would have if that T if the TV wasn't on and you weren't trying, cause it's, I think there's been like some studies done of if you're focusing or if you're trying to focus on two things, you're really not focused on either one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a think you have a tendency to not listen to what your body's telling you. And it's like a mindless mm-hmm. snacking or and eating. Then, I mean, thing. how many times have you looked down and you're only planning on eating how, whatever portion and you're like, Oh, it's all gone. It's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. What I like this other point that the book mentions of don't feel good guilty like you have to say yes learning Mm -hmm. to say i'm good no thank you don't let people pressure you we all have that person who if it's for me it's a family member of oh you need seconds here you go have some more oh have some more and i'm just like no i'm really good (laughs) yeah that's okay to say no be like you know i that was delicious or Mm -hmm. thank you so much it looks great smells great whatever but i'm i'm good yep and and stick to your guns and honor that fullness so if you're honoring your fullness, like I said, um, with that, taking out that distraction, it opens up a door to discover that satisfaction factor, um, which is the next principle. And I love that they pointed out, they kind of used um, a couple different countries as examples of how pleasure in eating is like one of their main health concepts. And they talked about how like the Japanese promote pleasure as one of their goals to healthy living. And I thought that was really interesting because in our pursuit to be thin and healthy, we often overlook the one of the most basic like and I don't know what like the word that I'm looking for, like gifts of the experience is like to enjoy what you're putting in your mouth. And we live in a great time. Let me tell you, I'm a foodie who lives in Durham. We got mm-hmm. all kinds of good food. Exactly. So allow yourself to really enjoy that satisfaction. And one of our mentors in college was really into this. And mm-hmm. she would say, really take a bite and enjoy your bite of food. And then she, I don't remember how she phrased it, but it was like you kind of get a diminishing return each bite you continue to take for sure. So then if you're also kind of aware of like, wow, I really enjoyed that. 
mm-hmm. and enjoy as many bites as you're really truly enjoying. And then once you're done and you're not enjoying it and you're good on that, knowing that that's enough. Mm-hmm. Cause you'll realize once you get to the bottom of the carton or the end of the box, like you'll realize <laughs> that ice cream carton though. Yeah. You're just like <laughs> this, the last bite definitely does not taste as good as first. And it's true. Yeah. So that's, I think a cool part of that principle. Um, so like how many times have you really been craving something and you try to substitute it with something else to ease the craving and then you end up like running through your whole pantry because it, the craving was never satisfied. But if you had just eaten the thing that would have satisfied the craving, you would have ended up eating less calories, less whatever you're afraid of in the first place. You, you see these sometimes like diet tips on social media would be like, if you are hungry and you're craving a cookie, drink a glass of water and munch on a celery stalk. And you're like, fuck no, like eat the cookie for mm-hmm. Christ's sake. Please, please do not live your whole life and not enjoy the food that you are eating. Yeah, it is a big part. Like we like we just talked about, it's a big part of culture and celebration and uh, something that a lot of us should be thankful we have the opportunity to enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, in this part of the world. For sure. So next big thing, using food to cope with your emotions. I feel like this could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Sure. Um, so, you know... Food, food just isn't going to, it's not going to cure whatever feeling you're feeling. If it's anxiety, if it's sadness, if it's loneliness, stress eating, stress, um, if you're sad, eating certain things, that's not a way we shouldn't be using food to cope with emotion. That to me is almost the same as using drugs or alcohol to cope Mm -hmm. with emotion. I mean, it might comfort in the short term, but in the long run, what, what feelings are you going to feel afterwards that are just going to lead to more destructive thoughts or destructive behaviors? You know, I think that emotional eating is a big part of that binge restrict cycle as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe if this is something you identify with, if you are feeling some type of way, sit with those emotions for a second, think just sit with the emotion and then try to think about is is this craving of me wanting to do whatever this habit might be maybe it's you like to eat brownies when you're sad and you go through a breakup I don't know um if you're recognizing I don't really want brownies I'm just I'm using this as a coping tool just sit with that emotion and think of another healthier way to deal with it talk to someone yeah and don't eat or drink or whatever reach out to a friend and you know do something productive that will distract you or not distract you, um, but just help you deal with that emotion. And I mean, I mean, I'll be the first to say therapy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we just admitted at the beginning of this podcast, we used, we yeah, used pizza. <laughs> we were, we're, we're speaking from experience people. We know we use pizza and alcohol <laughs> to survive our education. I literally think I have a video of me just like sitting and Brooke's like pouring wine and it just keeps pouring and keeps <laughs> pouring. And I'm like, oh my, Brooke, it's just like, we've had a rough day. I think I, I refer to those as big girl glasses. Yes. I've since, <laughs> I've since, you know, learned in my adulthood that isn't the best way to deal with things. Mm-hmm. So what are 
some of the big emotions that you've had in the past that led you to want to eat? I'm a stress eater Mm -hmm. around exams when I was in college because testing freaks me out. I'm Mm -hmm. not a good test taker. I would stress eat. That was my thing. But then on the flip side, uh, when, and whenever anything was going on that made me sad, I wouldn't eat and that's not healthy either. You want to kind of keep in check, making sure that you're continually fueling your body correctly Mm -hmm. for, I mean, trying to be consistent, Mm -hmm. obviously things happen, but I think that that can go both ways. Actually, the way you either eat or restrict food around emotion. Yeah. And, um, they brought up an interesting point in the book too, where they talked about, you know, what food are you going to with that emotion? Like what's the texture? What's it taste like? And I think they kind of brought up anger and like crunchy things, which is funny because I'm like, I've definitely gone to the break room after like a meetings, maybe man, I'm like, and they're like crunching on pretzels. (laughs) It's just like, it's like releasing like that anger. That's funny. And I'm like, that's so true. That's hilarious. Um, another thing is, um, eating because we're celebrating. That's an emotion. You know, you're happy, you're celebrating something or you're just like, Oh, I, I made it to this point in my journey. I want to celebrate. Let's go out to eat. That's something we do all the time. I don't know how I have mixed emotions about this though, because I am a foodie. I love food. So I don't know if I feel anything's wrong with that. Mm -hmm. As long as it's not this overindulgent type behavior. Cause I do think to me, it's more of the ritual. Yeah. Like for instance, you're in town. I don't get to see you often. Mm-hmm. So what we you know we're going to go out to dinner and like celebrate getting to be together again and sure. you get to experience new food. So I don't, to me, I personally don't feel like there's anything wrong necessarily with food and celebrations as long as we're not going overboard. I agree too, because I think for me, it goes back to that satisfaction factor of I'm with someone I really care about. I'm in a new city. I'm in their city. And, you know, it's all for me, it's all around experience, not just, oh, I get to eat amazing food. You know, for me, I really enjoy the company that I'm with and exactly. the conversation. And it's the experience. Yeah. It's a like a, almost like a ritual and an experience. Yeah. So that's that's what I like more than I, I think trying to. So what do you think are ways like for you that you found, you know, you mentioned being like a stress eater. What were other ways to cope with that emotion besides eating? I did. I am attempting to work on meditation. I'm not, not the greatest at it. The other thing I do is I'm just trying to be better at setting time aside for myself to do something else. Mm -hmm. And I recently have acquired a small garden center in my living room you haven't you haven't been to my house yet to see all my new plant babies so i'll do things like that that bring me enjoyment that i can get into a flow state with whatever's going on something that i enjoy and then work through the emotion in a Mm -hmm. healthier way yeah for sure i think that's where that movement too comes in like finding a movement finding exercise that you know, your body responds well to. Yeah. I'm a big fan of meditation through movement, getting into oh, yeah. a flow state, whether that's something artistic like drawing or 
something like for me, it's tending to my plants, walking my dog, something else that kind of helps me move and work through that emotion. Yeah. So the next principle is probably my favorite and something that I'm really excited that people are starting to talk more about. And that is respecting your body and, you know, that body, that body acceptance portion. Um, so, I mean, think about like, this is just like your genetic blueprint. If you are a size, if your shoe size is a size eight, are you going to go to the store and expect to fit in a size six? Probably not. <laughs> That's a really, I also think it's weird that as a culture, we obsess over sizes. Mm-hmm. It's just a size. And it's just like, what is hate? What has hating your body ever gotten you? What has stepping on the scale and seeing the number that you didn't want to see and chewing yourself out, has that got, has that made you lose more weight? Has that made you leaner? No. So why are you doing it? Yeah, that's a really great point. I think it's hard uh, for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. But once you start, stop feeling like you're at war with your body, whether whatever that might be, if it's a size thing, I don't have enough muscle. I don't, I'm not skinny enough, whatever that is, this talk you have in your head. Once you let go of this idea of being at war with your body, it is so freeing. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to spend all this time hating and talking negatively, negatively to yourself. And it's a really freeing experience. And like you said, what, what's weird is when you kind of let go of all that and start listening to what your body actually wants and needs, you're going to feel better and your body's going to start to change. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yep. You can't, you can't get anywhere if all you're doing is putting more stress and anxiety and pressure on yourself. If you are, you're just putting more weight on you. It's a different kind. Exactly. I love that you made that analogy. (laughs) But, um, I mean, and the other thing is, is like when you delay good things for yourself based on what you look like. So a lot like the summer has come to an end, but I saw so many posts that were, um, super inspiring of moms who were putting on bikinis and they were going to the pool. They were going to the beach with their kids and, how many years before that had they not allowed themselves to do that because they thought they needed another body to be able to. And I'm like, man, like why would you, why would you want to miss out on those big things in life? And like, especially if it's the ones that love you, they're never going to look at you and be like, Oh, your body. That's what I remembered. No, they're going to remember the conversation, the laughs, like the experiences that you guys had together. And because you weren't hiding in a corner, because you were ashamed of your body, it's going to make everything so much better. Yeah, we are so mean to ourselves in our heads. No one's no one's thinking that about you. You're the one being a bully to yourself. So I think it's I want to encourage people to just enjoy their lives. And I think confident is the best accessory you can ever wear anyway. Confidence. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of coming to like respecting your body, like you have to realize like you deserve to be fed. You deserve to feel good. You deserve, you know, to eat the things that satisfy you regardless of what you look like. And when you accept that, you'll like you said, you'll just start to feel free and you won't feel so tied and constrained to these rules that you set for yourself for whatever reason. But um, this 
like this principle also is where like the health at every size comes in. Um, like what have you seen lately on, I mean, this is like a new concept to me. Like in the past year is probably when I've heard this really come up. Yeah. And it started being, it's starting to be presented at our conferences and our profession as dietitians, which I think is really cool. And like I mentioned earlier, I just think there's so many other better indicators as to if you're healthy. Mm-hmm. So like the health at every size, it takes the focus off weight and it puts the focus on health. And um, I don't know what it said, but it was such a good post of like basically talking about how no like chronic disease has ever discriminated based on weight. Someone could be a perfectly healthy weight and still experience heart disease or diabetes or whatever it may be you know, as well as someone who is considered overweight. Those eating patterns you choose, I think are going to make the biggest difference, not necessarily the weight on the scale. Someone the other day was talking about their LDL cholesterol. And so they made some little diet tweaks. saw a huge drop, which is awesome. Those are health indicators that I think we should start to pay more attention to. Mm -hmm. And you're actually going to get feedback from your diet pretty immediately. Mm -hmm. And maybe the scale does or doesn't do something, but there's so many other variables that affect your weight. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting. And I hope that more people start to shift. What does your metabolic panel look like when you go to the doctor every year? Are you eating a lot of fiber and some other good protective things like fruits and vegetables to help prevent cancer in the future? It's going to be, I think, a lot less about the number on the scale. The whole BMI thing drives me nuts. Yeah. It's not an, it's not a very good indicator of health for athletes or anyone who's active and has yeah. muscle mass on them, really. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see a shift away from these type of indicators, and you're going to see people caring more about things like metabolic panels what's your cholesterol like Mm -hmm. what's your gut flora looking like are you eating a good diverse diet Mm -hmm. things like that are going to be much more influential yeah and i think the health at every size has also made me think about shifting the language that we use around bodies and um you know i've experienced it i'm sure you've experienced it if you have lost weight like sometimes the first things like the first thing someone says to you is like oh my gosh you look so good you've lost weight And it just kind of like puts in your mind, well, did I not look good when I hadn't lost weight? And so you feel like your worth and your value is increased because your weight has gone down. And that's why we continue to seek it. We continue to pursue it and we can't let it go because, you know, that language that people use with us. I personally don't like it when people comment on my weight, good or bad, like, oh, you've lost weight. Like even if they're trying to be positive Mm -hmm. in their mind. I just don't think anyone has a reason to comment about that. Yeah. And like, like you have no idea what that person's going through. Yeah. Maybe think of if you recognize that or if you think of a different compliment to give someone. Mm -hmm. I love when people say you look so happy. Yep. That's like my favorite compliment. You look so strong. You look like, I don't, I like (laughs) Mike, Mike technical difficulties. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You a strong, badass bitch. Mike drop. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean your body you you gotta respect it and you gotta love it or it's it can't do much for you yeah and a lot of the times we might not recognize we're doing this with other people or we might not be aware and we might mean 
you know, we're trying to be nice. Mm-hmm. We, we mean well. Yeah. So it's something just to be thoughtful about. I know this is something I'm still working on. Oh yeah. It's hard. Cause sometimes I, I'll catch myself when I'll say negative things about myself, then how does that make other people around me feel? Mm-hmm. If I'm talking trash about myself, mm-hmm. like, wow, well, what do you think about me? Yeah. <laughs> and that's not fair yeah. because then I'm putting my own shit on someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's vice versa. Um, like if you're one of the things I talked about is like, stop, stop comparing your body to other bodies. Stop deciding which body is better. And, um, like you said, like vice versa, if you, um, walk into a room and you're looking at everyone else trying to see like what's going on with their bodies, if you're doing that, like, if you can't be kind to like the other bodies around you, how are you going to be kind to yourself? Do you remember that? I think it was ESPN, that magazine spread of the female athletes. Mm -hmm. That was the coolest thing ever to see the body diversity because these were obviously kind of elite level athletes, but you can see that their body is made and serves a purpose for their skill, like the skill or the sport or whatever it is they've decided to hone in on. And it was so cool. And these were all healthy women Mm -hmm. ranging in all different shapes and sizes. So it was really cool to see that laid out in front of you that there is no perfect body. There is no perfect formula to get the perfect body because it doesn't exist. It's make believe. So just if you do something, if you find something you love, whether that's a sport or a workout routine or an activity, and you just do that thing that you love and enjoy, your body will start to change in a way that's going to then help you to do this thing that you love. Mm-hmm. So and then it's, it's this gonna, awesome cycle. Yeah. And then you're going to, because of that positivity and because of like the positive results, you're going to continue to do it. Whereas as you've seen with diets and rigorous like exercise routines, you eventually give up because you've set this unrealistic expectation of this is going to work and then it doesn't. And so you aren't motivated to keep going. Yeah, that's so, so true. Mm-hmm. But I think what's so empowering about what you were talking about with the ESPN like spread of the female athletes is I would have given anything to see that growing up. And so it makes me so happy to know that, you know, not just young females, but men also are growing up and seeing that and it's going to change their minds. It's going to change their perspective. And I really just like hope that because these conversations are starting to get started and because of these pictures are starting to get put in the media that maybe we see this change. Like maybe we truly see a difference be made. And I don't think it's ever too late to change. Like I said, I wasn't on board with this at all when I first learned about it. But All right. Well, I've got a tough question for you. What would you say to the people who say intuitive eating and health at every size isn't healthy? It's not healthy to maybe have extra weight on you. Like what what would you say to someone who's going to try and make that argument? Uh, Why? (laughs) You know, like where's your facts? Where's your proof? Um, Why can't I be someone with a different body than you and also be healthy? And I think, you know, they you can come and ask those questions and like there are answers, but you also just kind of have to like reevaluate. Why do you think that way? You know, what in your life has led you to that thought process? And when you look around and you see people who are different than you, why do you automatically assume that they're lazy or that they don't eat right or, you know, whatever it is, why do you assume that about them? Cause you have no idea if that's the truth or not. 
And I don't think that's a common stance, but you do still unfortunately see a lot of fat shaming and things like Mm -hmm. that go on. And sometimes in our profession even, but I do think that that's changing and not the norm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as a dietitian, I think everyone expected us to all look the same, eat the same, be the same. And we're not. And that's okay. You know, my favorite is when we go out and people will be like, you're a dietitian. Are you going to eat that? Yeah, yes, I'm going to eat this because this is what I want to eat right now. I passed the exam because all I ate was celery and hummus. But like what? That's just like the most realistic thing. Or when people who find out we're dietitians will be like, don't look at what I'm ordering. Don't like, don't judge me. Like, and then they start telling you about their diet and how it's normally healthy. And it's like, hey, I'm not judging you. Mm-mm. That's not how this works. No. I am not judging you. Enjoy your food. Exactly. And then it, like I said, it takes away from the experience. It takes away from like the good and the joy that could have been if you hadn't brought up the food conversation. No one yeah. cares. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> Newsflash brought to you by Coco. Which principle are we on? We are on. So that's number eight. Respect your body. Um, I think that one is probably one of my favorites because I think it has a lot of power to really change like the trajectory. Is that how you say it? Our brains are not connecting today. (laughs) Of your health journey. Um, So I I highly encourage that one. And look at who you're following on social media. That's a huge one. Yeah. Like who is, who is making you think that you need to change because of what you're seeing on their feed. Yeah. You should never be around people or following people that make you feel negatively about yourself yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. And that's something like, I just have like no tolerance now. I'm just like, Oh, why am I feeling like, why am I feeling weird right now? Don't, and don't feel guilty for having setting boundaries with people yeah. or unfollowing yeah. You know, whatever, just set those boundaries and do what's best for you. Yeah. If someone is continuing to, like we said, talk negatively about themselves and you're really trying to work on yourself, just be like, hey, I'm really trying to like get away from that mindset. Can we not talk about that? <laughs> yeah. But um, next one is exercise. Like we said, huge component. And um, this is more so like talking about what movement brings you joy what movement makes you happy what relieves your stress what makes you feel good you shouldn't think of it as punishment no it should be something you enjoy and the focus should be on like getting that movement in and not how many calories am I burning because I think a lot of the times like I've heard well I can only get 15 minutes in so that's not worth it so I'm not going to do it whereas like if you realize all those 10, 15 minutes that build up over a year. And if that's like something you enjoy doing, you should do it. If you don't have an hour, that's okay. And I do think the consistency matters more. Mm-hmm. So you're like, if you only get in one hour and a half session a week versus a couple 15 to 30 minute sessions, I think the consistency is more important. Yeah. And I think you probably see this with working with like performance and things like that of if you're not enjoying the movement or the exercise that you're doing, look at your food. You're probably not eating enough. You're probably not getting enough energy from carbohydrates. Exercise is a great feedback because how you feel during activity and then how you feel after and your recovery and your sleep is going to tell you a lot about what nutritional Mm -hmm. adjustments you need to make. Yeah. And so 
I think we talked about this earlier of instead of using food to cope with something like stress, like using exercise, you know, we talked about how chronic stress is so much more detrimental on your health and the food you're probably eating. And exercise is something that can help to combat this. So if you are a person who's struggling with chronic stress, um, that's going to cause a hormone imbalance. You know, your cortisol, your cortisol is going to go up. And then what we talked about earlier, the neuropeptide Y, that's also going to increase due to the cortisol. So your appetite's going to go up. You're going to, your body's going to want more carbs because that stress is causing that hormone imbalance. And, you know, if you're using exercise to combat that, then it's going to help you so much in the long run. Yeah. And I do want to say my only little note on this principle is you can also become a compulsive over exerciser mm-hmm. and that's not great either. So just keeping in mind that the same rules as far as boundaries, don't overdo it. Yeah. It should def- apply to exercise mm-hmm. as well. Definitely realize that if you miss a day that you hadn't planned on missing, that's not going to ruin your health journey or if you miss a couple weeks, like in the grand scheme of things, like we said, consistency is key and um, continuing that movement is going to help you in the long run. Yep. I love it. Yep. What is our last principle? Lay it on me. Last principle is to honor your health with gentle nutrition. So this kind of like ties it all back into together of we believe that if we encourage people to eat what they want that will lead them to like reckless abandonment and not have any control over their food or the consumption or what they're eating. And they're just going to eat all the quote unquote bad foods that they want. And they're not ever going to really get to the good stuff. And that's just not true. So um, the truth is that like several studies show that eating in restraint causes weight gain. So if you take out that restraint part and just give yourself that unconditional permission, you're going to end up including a wide range of foods into your diet, which is ultimately what's going to be best for you. I love it. And I think that's important is when we talk about intuitive eating and this, this idea of listening to your body, that doesn't mean we don't believe in healthy eating patterns. Mm -hmm. It just means we're rejecting this fad diet culture and this negative self-talk. And we're going to start trying to encourage people to respect their bodies, to listen to what their bodies are telling them and make sure that they're incorporating things they love and enjoy when it comes to food as well as healthy eating patterns. Yeah. And I mean like the same principles still apply here. We want you to get in your fruits and vegetables. We want you to get in plenty of fluids. Um, but at the end of the day, like you still should feel like, man, I really want a chocolate chip cookie from the bakery down the street. So I'm going to go and get it. And maybe you walk there and maybe you sit and take a minute for yourself and you enjoy what you're doing. Yep. I love it. This is such a great topic and I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it since you know so much. And for, for people that maybe haven't heard of this, what's the book called and who wrote it if they want to look it up? Yeah. So the book is called intuitive eating. Pretty simple. And it's by Evelyn Tribble tribal and, um, Elise Resch. And I can type these out because these actually are really strange (laughs) names. I'll type this out in the show notes too for people who want to check it out. But 
I follow a lot of intuitive eating dietitians on social media, and I think it's really awesome to see this shift that we're seeing and and kind of rejecting mainstream fad diet culture. Yep. I mean, I'm excited that these conversations are being had and especially by dietitians, um, you know, we got to lead the way. Mm. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to come on a podcast all the way from Nashville. I love it so much. I love getting to have these conversations with someone who is also doing such great work and, you know, you're someone I care about so much. So having these conversations with you make it even, even better. Thanks. You're so sweet. (laughs) If people want to find you, where can they connect with you and ask you questions or see what you're up to? Well, on Instagram, I am Nicoco RDN. So it's N-I-C-O-C-O underscore RDN. And that's where I'm mainly on. And if you can also connect on the ROI Health Instagram page. And we have an email that you can send through Instagram. Mm-hmm. It makes life so easy. And as always, uh, please, please, please email me. I love to hear feedback. If you learned something, what you would like to hear more about, if you have questions, you can always reach me at brooke at softleet.com or on Instagram at brookwest underscore RDN. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good day, everyone. Bye. <laughs>